recording of this um, by the time we're done. So again, welcome to Civically Speaking. I'm your host, Lenora Swiston, and with me today I have two special guests and who I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. And the topic is the Saskatoon Cooperative Strike, which is now going into like month five. And it started in November, so we'll start over here. I'm Ashley Hicks. I work at the Stonebridge Co-op. Awesome. Jason Hicks. I'm Ashley's husband. I used to be involved with the uh, USW Local 1400. Awesome. Very, very, very nice to have you both on the show today. You know, I'm doing this somewhat selfishly because I want to understand what the heck's going on. I think there's just a lot of information that's going on about this co-op strike over the last four months. We're seeing picketers in front of stores. We're seeing folks kind of still in the parking lots. We're seeing the occasional article online. Um, I think the most recent one, and I posted it on the Facebook page uh, for Civically Speaking, if folks are interested in following along our schedule that was from CQM just from a couple of days ago, saying, okay, this is where the state of it is at. So I thought, who better than to have you guys that are on the front lines looking out there for the strikers and trying to give that perspective of what's going on on the ground. So, um, Ashley, how about you start us off and like, what got you involved with this beyond, of course, working for a co-op? Um, but um, you've been you've been you've been uh, fearless on the on the line there. So, tell us your story. Yeah. So we went out November first. Um, we had just been struggling with uh, not having a collective agreement. Our collective agreement expired in 2016. So we were just sitting at an impasse for the longest time and we were making no progress. And we just eventually voted. Uh, we were 89% in favor of going on strike and that's where we are. So now you're on strike and you're now going into how many days of a strike now? It is day 125 today. Uh, okay. And Jason, how does this rank in terms of strikes that the co-op has been involved with in Saskatoon? As referring to the past, has this ever happened before? It did happen. In 1983, the co-op was on strike. Okay. Um, we've, we've since passed the, the amount of days. It's, it's been about a month since, a month over the 1983 record. Okay. Um, and one thing that's interesting from the strike is I, someone's presented me with a sign that, that uh, left over from the 1983 yeah. strike yeah. that says, uh, who owns this co-op? You are federated. And it just, it's kind of funny that that's still the running, the running theme here that uh, federated is running the show. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit before we came on the show tonight just about kind of the values of what a cooperative means and, and how a co-op differs from another retail outlet. Do you guys want to explain that? Because I think there's a lot of listeners out there that maybe just see a co-op as, well, there's my choice. I've got Sobeys down the street or Save On Foods and, oh, a co-op. So the main difference is when you buy your membership, you own a share and you are a shareholder. Everybody gets one share, nobody gets more than anyone else, and it is, it is a cooperative, you know. It is meant to help people, we're meant to invest locally, we are meant to, you know, treat each other fairly, you know. The, the theme is cooperation here, mm -hmm. and I just think that, you know, those principles are being left by the wayside. 
And, and yeah, I, I want to go back to a little bit about your background, and then I'm going to go to Jason here with a little bit more on the co-op side of it. How long have you been involved with the Saskatoon co-op in terms of, a, of an employee, a worker in Stonebridge? So I actually worked at the Greystone co-op okay. when I was a kid yeah. I, in 2006, yeah. uh, briefly. Um, I returned to the co-op after I spent several years staying home with my kids until they could go to school full-time. Yeah. So it just seemed a natural fit to get a part-time job for a company that I love, that I support, and who has always supported me. So that your history with them was a positive history. Yes, I'm a, a long-time co-op member, yeah. and I almost exclusively shopped at co-op before the strike yeah for sure and jason you know to build on what ashley was saying in terms of the co-op and the values of the co-op how does it what's the relationship between the saskatoon co-op and federated co-op because i'm i think a lot of people don't know the kind of the connection of how that works in the cooperative system here sure well uh federated they're, they're basically like the supplier and the saskatoon co-op is one member of federated co-ops general membership um uh, Federated also has a management clause with the Saskatoon Co-op, so all the supervision, out of scope supervision in the Saskatoon Co-op comes from, is actually employed by Federated. Um, and I think one problem that I've, I've long seen with the Saskatoon Co-op is getting involved with AGMs. Federated seems to have a much heavier hand in, this, in the AGM, and they're, they're very organized in getting their people out. and and uh, organizing who to vote for and, and it's it's very it's we found it very difficult in the past that as a grassroots group to try to elect our own uh, our own board so and what i'm hearing in that is that there's a there's a, a board like structure and so a board like structure in the federated co-op goes out to whatever their network of networks is to solicit folks in. So it's not necessarily like folks that work at a co-op that would be on the federated board. That's right. Okay. So I want to go into kind of, I want to hear about the stories on the line. And I also want to hear about what the actual critical issue is. Because again, I think for a lot of folks that are trying to figure out what the heck this is about, this terminology of two-tiered system and that seems to be what resonates, I think, out there. But at the same time, I don't think a lot of people know even what the heck that means. So if you guys can help fill that in, I'd really appreciate hearing about that. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of people are under the impression that we are trying to fight a lower starting wage. And that is not true. Uh, we are fighting them, bringing in a system that makes new hires top out at less. So you would never, ever be able to make, you know, a living wage like everybody else who currently works there. You would be subject to a new pay scale that, you know, the benefits are lower, the wages are lower, and the amount of time that goes between increments increases. You know, as it is, it's already a long wait to top out. You know, it's already a long wait to get to the top. And we, you know, we only have a certain amount of full-time employees. So it's not as if this is not, you know, 
it's not as if we're trying to break the co-op here. Mm-hmm. So exp- help break this down a little bit more for me. So how, do, how does that look? So how many people work at the Saskatoon co-op? And then kind of as much as you can share, you know, in terms of how the rates of paying that work right now. I mean, there's about 900 people that are employed yeah. at Saskatoon Co-op. Unionized employees. And yeah, 900 unionized employees. And, you know, we, we make a, a competitive wage. The wages are competitive. Yeah. They're a great place to work for. And in some cases, we do earn a higher wage than a lot of other people that work in the retail industry. Um, we always say that our service is exceptional, which it is. Our people are exceptional, they know you, and we have a specialized approach. You know, we treat every member like their family, and that goes a long way. And, I, you know, if, if you wouldn't accept two-tier service, why would you think it's okay to accept two-tier wages? You know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna get subpar service just because somebody makes less. And that's, that's what's gonna happen. Jason, you wanted, and thank I can, I can hear the emotion in your voice when you're sharing that because I can I can feel that it's hitting your family. You guys have kids in the whole bed in here too, so I can I I'm, I'm hearing that. But explain a little more, Jason. Well, one thing that I've I've learned through the strike, and I've I've been very active trying to help them out and organizing with the the grassroots membership from that level, and uh, the one. Con- continuous message that I keep hearing from people is that uh, they, they come to expect better service from the club. And it's just like Ashley said, you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't want to see a loss of service. So why would you want to see a second tier brought in, bringing in per- precarious work that, and, a, and a revolving door of employment? Okay, so now explain to me again what it means by a second tier, just so that I have an understanding. So what, how does that different than what you have now? So second tier, and Ashley, I heard you say it means somebody starts at, a, at never would have the ability to make as much as somebody who's been senior in the co-op today. So they would never be able to come to whatever somebody's earning potential that's been working for the co-op for the last, hypothetically, I don't know, 10 years, five years? In some cases, the difference is like $5 an hour. Okay. You know, in some cases that the company is proposing, workers would earn up to $5 an hour less than people who had, you know, you could have started um, six months earlier, but you're gonna make $5 an hour more because you started after this date. I mean, it, it, it just means the workers who start from whatever point on are going to be making less. They will be worth less. To the company because the company will be paying them less. Okay, and Jason. One, what they're really trying to do, it, it seems here, is um, they're trying to get the current employees to take advantage of the employees who haven't even been hired yet, and that's that's very disheartening to me as, as a co-op member. And I've, I've I've been a member for a long time at Saskatoon Co-op, and and I appreciate that they can pay a living wage, and but the moral in trying to or the lack of morals in Trying to expect people to sell out with their future co-workers is, to me, it's, it's, it doesn't stand with the cooperative principles. 
I want to go there for a minute because I think, you know, people will say, okay, here's Lenore and she's all for pro-labor and pro-co-op and all this sort of stuff. But there is a distinction here that I want to make clear for people that are listening in on that is that a cooperative structure is not the same as a corporate structure like a Sobeys or, a, or a, you know, a superstore. A giant difference between a cooperative and the corporation model Um Cooperatives are locally invested. We are community driven. We believe in equity, basically. And um, in a cooperative model, capital is always, always the servant. It's not the master. We do not run the cooperative based on profits. I mean, we sure have to be profitable, of course, but I mean, not at the expense of the people who are working in the store. And, and you make a good point there because I think, you know, I mean, I've heard the Gormleys of the world and all this sort of stuff. You know, there's folks in certain small towns where they were the cooperatives and you almost knew how they were going to vote and they would go to the co-op store and then there'd be the other folks that would go to the other stores that were in the rural areas and there was always that distinction. And I think kind of in modern days, the way that things get marketed, sort of that blurring of the lines has kind of happened in terms of how, I don't know if some folks know entirely what the roots of a co-op is or even what that that is a co-op other than of course the logo but maybe a kid doesn't even realize what that co-op actually means in terms of legislation because it's a special type of legislation i'm gonna i'm gonna say something here and then i want to i want to prompt a response for me the the strangest thing for me with all of this in november when all of a sudden you saw a strike is out of any organization logically you would never think a cooperative would have a strike that would happen or that it would be disputing with labor. So here's the thing that I find really interesting because I think a lot of people that would be looking from outside the cooperatives would be going, "Uh uh-huh, what the heck? And I think a lot of people from inside the cooperative movement or cooperative supporters, and I have a co-op number here in Saskatoon are going, what the heck? So what do you do with that when you're on the the picket line and, and, and there's that kind of that sense out there, but how in the heck did we get to this? It's ironic, at the very least. It's surprising and it's disappointing because, you know, we, we work for co-op because we believe in cooperative values. We're out there on the line upholding those values. And Jason, so, so what's this? What what what's the issue now that the co-op itself is saying in terms of the leadership? But who is that leadership that's doing the negotiation? I guess. And then what's the next step that you see happening from this? Well, what's, what's and I don't. I'm sorry to put you guys on the spot because that's a heavy <laughs> question, and I realized to you. Um, I, I'm not directly involved in negotiations mm-hmm. in any way. I'm not. I'm actually not connected with with the Sassy Co-op or, or with the union anymore. Um, but from what I understand about negotiations, it's been relatively the same offer that the employer's been producing for the past two years, and they're continuously urging a vote on the same offer over and over and over in the hopes of what seems to be just breaking the members over time, starving them out. I mean, they've been out over Christmas, they've been out uh, through the worst weather of the year, and some record temperatures, and they're still holding strong, but it's it's very disheartening to watch them try to break them this way. 
And so what is the morale like out on the pickup line these days? I know the weather finally warmed up a little bit today. We're still below average, but I've I've heard we're getting there. What's it, what's it like on the line right now? Morale is actually very high for my location, for me, for a lot of people that I know. There is, you know, strength out there. People are standing up. Their convictions are strong and they're, the people who are out there today are going to be out there. There's, you know, there's no, there's no going back in for them until this is settled. Mm-hmm. And Jason, you've been traveling around to the different picket lines. I know you're with the, with the Stonebridge one um, predominantly, Ashley, because that's where that's where you work. But when you go to the different picket lines, do you notice differences amongst the lines? And, and, and what are some of the stories that are out there as you're handing out hot chocolate, I'm sure, and other things to, to folks? It is, it is a, it's a very different story when you go from line to line. Like, like Ashley said, spirits are high all over. Um, but it's it, each line seems to be developing its own little culture, mm-hmm. and it's to me, I, I find that actually kind of amazing and yeah and inspiring. Um, you see a lot of relationships that have been popping up on on a picket line, and it's a lot of people. You you work with these people from day to day, but you don't spend this much close time walking beside them all day long in terrible weather, warming up together. Yeah, and really, they, they've been coming together to support each other in ways that's just inspiring mm-hmm. yeah well and i heard you said there's like love things being uh put forth on on the picket lines <laughs> so which is really interesting i want to i want to touch base a little bit more on an understanding of like how how does it work because you've been in the union and i mean there's lots of folks that are saying you know the unions need to modernize themselves they need to be thinking about you know what does that mean like are they being the ones that are also heavy-handed and and sticking their foot into the ground and not moving like what's your response to that in terms of of where things are at today well i i understand what you where you're coming from with that um uh, a common misconception you hear is that uh, unions were were effective back in the day. They're not so they're not so much needed anymore. We've got the rights already, but this is, I think, a prime example of why they are needed. Um, we're fighting just to basically just to keep the standards that we have, and it's without without the union, those those rights would have been eroded with without any uh, fight. And I see, Ashley, you're nodding your head there. It's really tough in Saskatchewan because we're sitting in a particular situation where. We're the only province who needs both parties to agree to binding arbitration. And that's been a really tough go for us because we've offered up binding binding arbitration to the co-op and they have been very reluctant. They have flat out said no, they will not enter into binding arbitration. And to me, that is what is really dragging this out. So let's go there because I, I want to understand a bit more. What does that mean? So for the folks that are just tuning in, you're listening to Civically Speaking. I've got Ashley and her wonderful partner here, Jason. They're both on here. Um, I'm talking about the Saskatoon co-op strike. And we're at a situation now where you've got, you know, the co-op itself is in the leadership, the board, the governors of, of the Saskatoon co-op saying they have presented an offer and it's been rejected. And you guys have been saying, let's go to, a, to an arbitration. Explain that. Well, we have moved 
on our original stance and we've made plenty of movement on our side. We are trying very hard to meet them halfway and we're met with an offer that keeps showing up that looks almost exactly the same every time and it's frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating to the point where we've said, look, let's sit down with an arbitrator then and we will get somebody to meet us down the middle and we'll pull everything out and we'll decide, you know, and then those, deci those decisions are binding and we would have to legally go back to work and this would just be resolved. Yeah, Jason, you want to pick up on that? Just, just Thank to you. touch on the, on the last part there, um, for anyone who's unfamiliar with binding arbitration, it's actually not even an agreement that would be voted upon. It's it's, it's a delivered agreement by a mutual party and it's it's, it's, it's taken a lot, I think, for the union to have to even recommend that because it just shows the lack of negotiation from the employer's side. And not, not even just the employer that they're dealing with, um, just from, from my working with the grassroots, um, it's been very difficult to get a hold, even just to get a hold of board members in the current dispute and to get them to take a stance. If you do get a, a hold of them, you get told that it has nothing to do with us and that's the management stuff, um, negotiations. That's interesting. So, so is there a role that a member can play? So, if there's somebody listening to this radio show that also holds a co-op member with the Saskatoon Co-op, is there anything that they can do to add their voice one way or the other to this? Well, you could always write a letter to your board. Mm -hmm. You could write a letter to your board of directors. You could write a letter to FCL or give them a call. I mean, I think that the members have the ultimate say. And when it gets time for us to meet for our co-op's annual general meeting, I think that that's an opportunity for people to come out and let their opinions and voices about the dispute be heard. And when typically the AGM, we were talking about this before, it's typically you were sharing with me is in April, correct? Yes, it's yeah. been April for a long time. So we'll see if it's in April this year, given the situation with this. Um, what I also want to ask, though, is like, what, what do you think is the reason from the Saskatoon Co-op's board and the role of SCL? Like, what are they saying is the main issue in their mind? And I know that may be unfair of you asking that, and I, and I am going to be reaching out to them to see if they can bring some, some, some voice to this. But I really wanted to give you guys on the line some time here today to, 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 share, your, to share this. I mean, I just think it's funny. They just keep saying we can't afford it. There's no money. Those are two words that I've literally heard several times before we went out on strike. And I think it's really funny because I was at the AGM last year and we had good quarter, good quarter last quarter, we're projecting good quarter next quarter, so I just thought it was really funny that we couldn't afford to pay people what we've been paying them when everything looks on the up and up. And I mean, to be fair, I mean, somebody looking at this from the outside, not somebody who's working in it, but I am, an, I am a member of the Saskatoon Co-op. 
I've always been struck by the fact that you always hear the messaging is we're one of the top organizations in Canada, we're one of the best employers out there, and we make a heck of a lot of money. And you always see that kind of in the top 100s on you know a number of different lists. Jason, I saw you looking at your phone looking for some contact information, I think. Um, well, I, I was just looking for uh, some contact information for the board, but yeah. I, I would, uh, as Ashley said, encourage, encourage members to get in touch with their board. Um, if they can, uh, some of them have been a little bit, little bit more receptive than others to hearing people out. But it's been very difficult trying to get them to take a, take a stance on this. It's which is, as, as the directors of the co-op, the overseers of it, it's I can't understand their reasoning behind wanting to stay out of what's a major issue within the cooperative right now. And a lot of members have a lot of questions. And so, and it comes back to what you were saying before, is that they've kind of deferred this and said, this is part of our management, this is who's handling this, we've got those folks that are in place, they do this kind of stuff, and we stay the heck out of it, although you're encouraging folks to write to them. What's the message that, that um, and I did, I did reach out to the union, and I know that they came back and said, good, that Ashley's coming on the show and all this sort of stuff. From the labor, from the labor's perspective, that's that that they have their position in this too, and so their latest offer on the table is what again? Just as we wrap up here in the next couple of minutes, which the the union's yeah, latest offer? Yeah. Well, we have offered to meet them halfway and uh, asked if we could insert a bridge into our uh, new collective agreement, which they have flat out said no to. They don't even want to talk if we're going to talk about a bridge. And it's a small bridge in which a very limited amount of people would be able to cross over after four years of service to Tier 1. I think it really leaves the union in a position where like, there's how much further can you go? Like, There's really been no meeting in the middle. Um, the union's got kind of left take our offer or leave it. It's, it's been two years, over two years now with the same offer and they're just, they don't seem interested in, in bargaining at all, just interested in breaking the, the, the striker. So when you say that, this whole notion of breaking the striker, I mean, we know that that term exists and we've seen a couple of stories. I'm just remembering in my head about a couple of folks that have, you know, crossed the picket line and they, you know, they've had to do this. It's like, how long can a strike last, you know, and how, how do you, how do you get, how do you eat if, if, if you're not getting paid? And, and it's a tough go. I mean, we all band together and we try as hard as we can to lift each other up. Uh, we've got a lot of support on the lines and we've got a lot of members who come out and they walk with us. They give us um, food donations, warm clothes donations. Um, uh, hot drinks and um, hand warmers, foot warmers. We've got a lot of community support. So basically, we last as long as the community lets us last. Well, and I think to clarify too, I think the role of the union there is there is a strike pay that comes to folks. Jason, can you explain that a little bit? Because there might be listeners here that don't understand that either. It's Sure, it's, it's a very limited pay of what you get, of course. Um, it's, you're basically borrowing against money you've set aside before the strike. Yeah. And it's from financial donations too, though, from a lot of rank and file members, that's helped a lot because it's 
it provided people with a little bit of extra cash um, around the holiday season especially. Um, there was a, a tremendous amount of support, financial support that came in just from, just from your average member. And that means so much to us. I mean, we basically have um, a small contingency fund that lets us get by the rough patches. Yeah. It is, you know, it's not really even comparable yeah. to employment insurance. Yeah. It really is a bare necessity budget that yeah. we've got going on for each picketer. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that because I do think a lot of folks don't know that and they don't know what that means when you're actually striking, what that actually all involves. Yes. And so um, thanks for clarifying that. You've, you know, we are down to the last minute here. What would be the message you would want to send out there as we wrap up, civically speaking here, talking about the Saskatoon Cooperative Strike? Don't shop co-op. We want to keep it fair. Yeah, and if, if, if anyone wants to reach out any further, if, they can, if, if they're welcome to bring uh, food donations, are very welcome. Um, financial contributions, if, if, if it's in people's budgets. Um, or just come out and, and meet with the picketers. Just come walk with us. We're, everyone's happy to have a visitor and, and happy to share their story. And we'd love to see you back in the stores after the dispute is over. Awesome. So you're saying this isn't a permanent thing. You're just saying for now until this is settled, don't be going in there until we get this squared away in a fair way. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ashley, and thank you, Jason, uh, for coming on Civically Speaking to talk about the Saskatoon Cooperative Strike. Um, this is Civically Speaking, with, and I'm your host, Lenore Swiston. Up next is the USSU show. Uh, it's been a real treat to have this in. I know it's a sensitive topic, but I'll tell you, somebody who... Um, has a co-op membership. This one kind of just, um, I can't, kind of is astonishing because you think out of any place where you would have good relations and things kind of lined up in a good way, it would be in a cooperative. So that's my message though as I'll go. And that is mine purely alone, not the stations or anyone else's. So take care everybody. Up next is the USSU show.